How many of you would like to do <coughs> a self-evaluation exercise? Huh? Question for self-evaluation. Question. How do you know how much you are institutionalized? How much do you know or how do you know how much you are institutionalized into a way of thinking that is designed to make you think the way everybody else thinks? How much do you think you have been institutionalized? Question. Write that question down for yourself. Write it down for yourself or type it into your phone, or whatever, question, how much have I been institutionalized? I mean, not in a mental institution, although that was very appropriate about what Pastor Sharon said last night. You are in a mental, a mental institution, because everything is a mental game. It's a mind game. It's a mind, it's a mind thing. It's not a spirit thing, it's a mind thing. But the mind thing can become a spirit thing if you let it into your mind, and it controls your mind. So, that's a question. Number two, you can do a self-evaluation, and you can ask yourself, um, I don't want to be too specific here, because I did think about this, but you could ask yourself, if I am completely institutionalized in my thinking, what part of me must I change first? So, in other words, what's the most important area of my life that I'm institutionalized that I must change first? So obviously the most, the most simple example must be, I've got to change my walk with God. So, I mean, th that's, a, that's a given, right? In other words, if you're institutionalized in any way of your thinking, you've got to change your walk with God before you can change something else. You've got to see God differently. After that, what's next? Is it my finances, the way I see money? Is it the way I see my career? Is it the way I see relationships? Is it the way I see myself? Perhaps, perhaps it's more about me and my insecurities and my failures and perhaps shame or some kind of other decisions that I've made. Perhaps that's something that's impacting more me in my institutionalized perspective than anything else. And so then the, the last one is how will I know that I'm changing? How will I know that I'm changing? And uh, part of what I would say to you is, uh, it shouldn't just be what you think, it should be what others think, because they can see and they can hear that you're changing. I mean, if, if there's something that I want to change in my life, the person who will know it first, and the person who will know it best will be Pastor Sharon, right? Because she's closest to me. 
So she'll see it first, and then others around me will begin to see that I've changed in my thinking. So, or in the way that I approach life. And so this is more about how you are making choices to live your life, as opposed to uh, where you think your life should be before you make a change. And oftentimes, there's this perspective that I'll make the changes and I'll do what I must do to get myself to a point where I'm ready for the change. Well, that's not going to do you much good, but it's part of your institutionalized thinking because you think you can bring about the change that you need to bring about in order to get yourself to the point where you can become useful to God or you're ready to be used by God, or be, you'll be ready to be put, your, put yourself into a place where God can use you. Well, where do I get all of this from? Well, I got it from Martha, if you want to know. Not just Martha, but I'm going to use Martha, because I'm going to go back to Martha. So Martha welcomed him into, this is Luke 10, verse 38. So Martha welcomed Jesus into his, her house. And Mary, she was there, sat at Jesus' feet, heard his word. But Martha was, dis was distracted with much serving. You just uh, help me with this word for a minute. Let's look at this word for a minute. Distracted. Distracted. How do you know if you're institutionalized? When what you're doing is distracting you from where God wants you to be. Amen. Distractions. Well, Pastor John, you know, I don't consider working a good day's hard work as a distraction. It could be. It could be the only thing that distracts you in life is work. I mean, it, you know, some people say, well, work can't be wrong. If, yes, it can. If work is what you rely on for, for your self-esteem and for things that matter to you, then your institutionalized thinking is connected to that. There's, there's a, a great deal of value to you in what I'm saying spiritually if you start to if you start to have an examination of yourself and you start to say well how much am I distracted from where God might want me to be distractions and you know a, a bigger thing would be what's causing what's causing the distraction so she was distracted with much serving because, again, as I said, the cultural, the cultural pressure that she was under. Generations, thousands of years of patriarchal, familial life as a woman in a home that welcomes high-ranking guests into their house demanded that the woman take up a position 
of number one, welcoming, preparing, serving, making everything. Hey, come on, this is still available. This is still in the modern day world. It might not be a patriarchal system anymore, but it's certainly a performance system. Don't come to my house until I've cleaned everything and made it look pretty and beautiful and everything, and uh, you'll get the best of my house. <coughs> because, right? Because I want to present my best side to you. You look like none of you think or do that. When every, every woman puts pressure on a man, if she can, you know, certainly in the subtlest of ways at least, you know, and vice versa, Marky Aisquin, Marky Combeisquin, keep it clean, let's, uh, let's organize, fluff up the pillows, make sure every, all the ornaments are straight, come on, yeah, it's a performance thing, right? Those are the cultural issues that we're facing Martha. It's her home. She also wanted to present to everybody that she had the financial means with which to actually meet the needs of all of the people that were coming to her home. So she was distracted by all of these things. So, how much, how do you know, how do you know if performance is dominating you? How do you know if performance is dominating you? When you press for a result that you predetermine is the result that you want, instead of inquiring of the Lord what He wants. If you spend more time pressing for a result that you want, rather than even spending equivalent amount of time asking God what He wants, then you are performance influenced. Okay. It also, there's also another way that you can ask the question and is that, is how important is the reward of my performance to me? And what are the rewards that are so important to me that I keep pursuing a result because of the rewards of the performance? So this can be in a relationship, this can be about work, this could be about learning, education, this could be about politics, this power, this could be about sports, it could be about many things. Predetermined results, how important is the reward, and what does the reward look like, and why am I doing all of this stuff? So I'm doing this all of this stuff to get what back? How important is it that I get that back? And so, how much have I inquired about from God about what I get back factor? That what about what do I get back factor? How important and how big a deal is that to me? So, 
Praise the Lord. God is going to deliver you if you just begin to recognize that, that the way Martha was approaching everything, and I'm about to touch on the, unfortunately, I'm about to touch on, or fortunately, I'm about to touch on the biggest area that we, as a, as a, as a Christian community, uh, evaluate our lives. Because the next thing that Martha did was, she approached him, being Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Lord, she addressed Jesus as Lord. In other words, she gave him the title, she gave him the authority, she gave him the influence to tell not only her, Martha, but to tell Mary, she in fact relied on his lordship to tell Mary that the cultural things and the performance issues of the culture of the day were more important than what Mary was doing. So what's happened as a church is that we approach God the same way and we say, Lord, tell my boss who I am. Lord, help me achieve the results in my education so that I can have the best possible options when I finish high school or when I finish university or whatever it is that I do. Lord, help me. Lord, don't you see how much effort I'm putting in? Lord. 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 So, My son Garth gave me a book to read recently. It's a heavyweight book. There are a couple of, of writers of uh, theological exegesis that have, that have been around in the world, really tremendous, amazing authors, people that are students of the Word of God and have produced amazing works that have influenced the body of Christ. So one of them would be Watchman Nee, for example. This author that Garth gave me to read, I already knew about the author. I have actually read some of his material um, many, many years ago. But he gave me a book um, entitled The Sovereignty of God. I mean, it's a yay thick book like this. So I said to Garth, I said, thanks, Garth. Just give me light reading anytime you like, you know. <laughs> so the sovereignty of God. Well, anybody that's been around church here long enough will know the sovereignty of God is one of the biggest questions and one of the biggest theological issues that people want to solve is the sovereignty of God. In other words, how sovereign is God in my life versus my will? 
That's one of the aspects of sovereignty. The other aspect of sovereignty is if God is sovereign, then how sovereign is He and how sovereign is His will in the outcome of everything? Just like reading. So, the sovereignty of God is not a, is not a new issue. The sovereignty of God is an issue that the church has, has wrestled with. People that have been in the Word, people that have studied the Word, people that have gone to seminaries, otherwise known as cemeteries. But a lot of, a lot of these people have wrestled with these questions because, you know, they, they want to try and answer how sovereign God is. And they try and answer it with their intellect with their understanding of the Bible and the way they interpret the Bible. And unless you get a revelation of that, you can never really answer that. Because the only way you can answer the sovereignty of God question is if God reveals Himself to you. So when He shows up in noonday, brighter than the noonday sun, and you fall at your feet because He shows up, you don't have a question about sovereignty. You know He's God. And you know that if he says, you're persecuting me, then he's not there to have a debate about what you think his power level is or his influence level. He's here to tell you, your life is about to be over if you keep doing what you're doing because you're persecuting me. Right? So in an encounter with God, is the surest way to understand how sovereign He is. However, absent an encounter with God, you will try and answer the question with your intellect, not because I've raised the issue about sovereignty, but you're going to raise it, you're trying to answer the question with your intellect because you'll be confronted with a natural problem of how much do I give myself to God? How much do I give myself to God versus how much I've got to have responsibility for my life? How much do I give myself to God versus the responsibility of my life? This is the question that was facing Martha and Mary because Martha was saying, I'm facing my responsibility. I know what is required of me culturally. I know what is required of me financially. I know what is required of me as a woman. I know what is required of me as a host in a house. And I'm touching on the major issues of life. I'm also revealing that I'm educated enough in the system to understand what my responsibility is. And so therefore, I am doing all of the proper things to have the proper result. Tell me, what do you think the proper result for Martha is? Approval. Approval. Reward by the society. If you go to Martha's house, she's good. If you go to Martha's house, she knows how to host. She knows her place. In culture, she's... What a, what a, no problems with Martha. That was the reward she was looking for. It's so big to Martha 
this responsibility that she's undertaking and the approval of society and the approval of men and the approval of her guests that are coming to her house. And I'm touching this. When I say this, I'm talking about our lives and every part of our lives. Responsibility. So big is it that she comes to God and says, Lord, tell Mary she's not responsible. Because she is coming to sit at your feet while I'm slaving in the kitchen. I'm cleaning the house. I'm preparing for the guests. Tell her, Lord. Tell her how important responsibility is. Tell her, Lord. Tell her she must be responsible. And, of course, Jesus says, Martha, Martha. In fact, you know, in the, in the way the Bible put it, it says she actually tries to manipulate Jesus because she says, don't you care? You, Lord, don't you care that she's misbehaving and she's not being responsible? Don't you care? May you have an understanding, an enlightenment, a revelation of what I've just said. Because my words are <coughs> not adequate to describe to you what she was actually doing with Jesus. She was taking all of her life and wrapping it in one question. Don't you care? Won't you tell her? Responsibility is much more important than what she's doing. So Jesus doesn't answer Martha about her place in her life. <coughs> the way he answers Martha is rather what Mary has chosen. So that's what I love about Jesus. Jesus is not criticizing Martha for uh, what she's doing but he rather reveals what Mary has chosen. Because in revealing what Mary has chosen, he now gives Martha a choice to choose the same. And he says, you are worried and troubled about many things. And so, even though she came to Jesus and says, don't you care that she's not helping me? He actually answers her and says, you are worried and troubled about many things. It's not just about this home issue. It's about many things. It's all of the issues. But Mary has chosen that good part that will not be taken from her. Another translation in the Living Translation says, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? And the Lord said to her, Dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. There's only one thing that is necessary, and Mary has discovered it. He's, he's elevating Mary's revelation. Martha, you can be there too. 
Wow. So, uh, another translation in the, in the Passion Translation is, is Martha was exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparations for her guests. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. And Martha, why, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? Are they really all that important? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted, and I won't take that privilege from her. Okay. So now I want to tell you, and I want to just reveal to you, what's happened with the my exchanges, is that God began to do a work in our ministry where He said, I will take the children. In order for God to take the children, He had to start to do a work in the parents' hearts. Because without the parents granting their children, and I mean that, granting, because when you've been raising your kids and taking care of them and preparing them for a, for a certain direction in life, you've got to let them go into the hands of God. And I'm grateful, and I'm thankful that God worked on the hearts of parents. And as they let their children go, God began to take the children. And as God began to take the children, they were undistracted by what the system said their next step should be. So because they were not, they were I mean, I'm not saying they didn't have questions and they didn't have issues to deal with. But because they came to give their hearts to the Lord, the Lord said, I'll take it. Because what, you've did, what, what you are discovering is that sitting at my feet and hearing what my will is for your life is the most important thing. Because then you have got confidence for your future because it's not about what your choices are that you make. It's about what choices He makes with you, for you. And it has to be with you, for you, it can't be for you. Because it's your choice. So, the world system is broken. The world system is broken. Well, how do I know that the world, world system is broken? Well... You should just ask, answer that self for yourself. Because, because I don't really have to tell you that, that the financial system of the world is crumbling everywhere. I heard, this week I heard that, that with, the, with the new spending of, of America through the COVID period and all that, America is now $20 trillion in debt. 20 trillion dollars in debt. America, the great capitalist system of the world that is the world's icon free society is 20 trillion dollars in debt. There are other people in this room smarter than I about finances that will tell you 
it's it's virtually it's virtually impossible for America to pay it back. And if they are going to pay it back, it's going to have to take huge amounts of restraint in government spending. And I can tell you for sure, it's not this generation of people that are living now that will pay it back. It's the kids that are not even born yet, when they get to 20, 30, 40 years old, they will be paying it back through taxes. Or they're going to be paying it back in lifestyle changes because whoever they owe the debt to will influence the way that they live. It's already happening. So, can I tell you about some of the, one of the big issues that will tell you that the financial system's broken? <coughs> this is... This has come to the Senate of the, US, the USA. They are, they are, I mean, the Republican Party guys are all talking about that if they win the House back and the Senate back <coughs> now in November, that they are going to bring these institutions up for uh, evaluation and they need to come and investigation and answer, answer some questions because one of the biggest financial institutions of, of the, in the globe is a place, is an organization called BlackRock, BlackRock Investments. And BlackRock Investments are using their political and their financial clout with large organizations to say you must have policies in your company that are Green New Deal oriented or you cannot have too much of your financial investment into petroleum companies, etc., etc., and they are, they are manipulating the change of companies who are making board-level decisions that you think are working for a company that's making a board decision, but actually it's the investment company, BlackRock, that owes so, has so many seats on your board that is help telling you, if you don't make this decision, we are going to take our capital elsewhere. So what the politicians are wanting to have happen is actually already happening in the financial system where the people are not making financial investment issues or decisions. They are making political decisions and using their financial clout to make it happen. Whether you like it or not, these decisions that they are making now are going to affect your children's lifestyle and your children's children's lifestyle. Guaranteed. Okay, bring it home to me, Pastor John. Okay, let me bring it home to you. The California governor last, last week made a, an appeal to the Californians. Why do I use California? Because California as a state, there are people here that can correct me, but if I'm not mistaken, this is, this is true. Just as a state, California, I believe, is the ninth largest economy in the world. As a state. The governor of California, in terms of GDP, all that kind of stuff, the governor of California made a public address to the Californians this last week. He made a public address and he asked them to please not set their air conditioners. This is amidst a heat wave that is currently happening throughout the southern part of America. I was talking to Joe uh, McCoskey on, on, on Friday, and this is a real thing. I mean, the temperatures are 115, so that's like 45 degrees 
I mean, they are having a, wheat, a heat wave in America. On the west coast and the southern part of America, they're having a heat wave, major, major heat wave. So if you've got those kind of temperatures, they've asked the California citizens to not put their air conditioning lower than, in Fahrenheit, 78 degrees. So I believe that's about 24 degrees inside the house. So now that might not sound like, well, 24 degrees might not sound like a bad temperature to live with. Well, if your temperature outside is 45 degrees, and you set your air conditioner at 24 degrees, your actual temperature is going to end up being probably 26, 27 degrees. This is not what Americans are used to. Why is he doing that? Because California's power grid is about to collapse. They are having, in certain areas, already rolling blackouts. They should be welcome to the real world. They have over, they've strained the grid in America. In California, they've strained the grid to the point where he's had to ask them to not do that. And if they want to cool their house down, he's saying, please cool your house down between 2 and 4 in the morning. It's where there's not all the requirement for energy so that we can... You mean this is happening in the United States? Yes. Ninth largest economy in the world is having power problems. Why? Because there's been this move to have this green climate change thing happen. So they shut down the nuclear plants so many years ago already. Then they shut, started shutting down coal plants because now they want to go on to wind and solar energy, which they call the new uh, energy sector, Right? doesn't work. It might work somewhere in the future when there's technologies that have to still be invented and used properly. But there's not enough power without using already existing means to power the economies. But a week before this happened, he got up and he made a p policy announcement that by the year 2035, I think it is, he wants 50% or they're going to sell no more petrol cars in California. Or there was some huge percentage. I mean, he made a big statement. And it was applauded by everybody. Californians made this big statement. But he's asking them to switch, down their, their, switch up their air conditioners because they... They're about to fall over off the grid. So, please, un please work with me now. He's asking them to buy battery-powered cars. They get powered with what? Electricity, which comes from where? This is the governor of one of the largest GDP economies in the world. And he thinks the answer is to dictate what must happen 
financially in the economy. I don't care how many degrees you get, that decision, these decisions that these people are making are, in, are going to impact you. Anybody tell me what happened to the rand, rand dollar, pound, pound rand exchange rate this week? As far as I can, as far as I can tell, it hit an all-time bad point. I believe it's now 19. Somebody knows, know what happened, what, what, was, what it was on Friday? 1940 or 19-something 19 rand? 19 rand, I think, to the dollar? 20 rand-something to the pound? What? You think the financial system of the world has got answers? I'll tell you. Here's what is possible. It is possible that you can, you can be in the presence of God and God may say to you, uh, I want you to go and buy some shares in this company. And you might say, Yo, Lord, are you asking me to go and get involved in the world system? Go and buy shares in the company. Okay, how much do I need to buy? He'll lead you there too. You mean you can have that closer relationship with God for sure? He'll also tell you when to sell it. You mean to say you're going to be involved in, a, in the world system? Well, the wealth belongs to Him anyway. And he's going to find ways to get that wealth out of the system to you because you know how to use it. If you don't know how to use it, he's not going to make that, tran that transition because it's not, it's not about whether there's money. It's about the relationship you have with God that will tell you. Why? Because you do what Mary did. You go and sit at the feet of Jesus. Because that can't be taken away with you because anything Jesus tells you to do with your life. You not only, you not only obtain riches and have full vats and have full barns and storehouses on earth, but you now also have them in heaven. Because you've chosen the part that is not how Martha sees life, but how Mary sees life. And Mary's first decision was, let me go and spend time, let me hear what, what Jesus has got to say. Because life words come from Him. Serving can be done anytime, all the time. But life words are coming from Him. He's not always in my house. Hello. education system in the world is broken. It is broken. Our, our level of education in South Africa, the standard of our, our, our general education in South Africa has dropped and dropped and dropped. By the way, so has America. And by the way, since COVID started, so is it in large portions of Europe. 
because kids have lost out on a lot of time that they, that they haven't been able to study. This is, not a this is not a problem for just South Africa or just America. This is a big problem. I can tell you, for example, in the United Kingdom, this is a big problem. The standard that, that children are aged to learning has, gap has widened. The health system in the world is broken. Why? Because they focus on symptoms. They don't focus on causes. And they don't have the answer that, that Jesus has. I mean, they can cut cancer out. They can use technology to do the best that they can to reverse the effects of cancer. And certainly, medical science has improved in the way that they help people. But the majority of people don't have the affordability to get the help that they need. It's not that the technology is not there or the medical science is not there. It's that it's only there for a few people. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. So if I'm looking across the world, I'm telling you the, 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 the system is broken. And so now, we are living in this bubble that we think we have a right to enter into the system because, because of a privilege because of a financial capability, because it's always been done like that, and my fathers did it, and my great-grandfather did it, and we all did it, and so we must keep doing it. If we thought like that about everything, we'd still be horse riding. And some of you think that's a good idea. Give me my rifle and my pistol and a hat. Let's go horse riding. Let's show a few people a few things. So how do we solve this problem for our lives? Well, we can't solve a problem for the world unless we can solve a problem for ourselves. And so if you are coming at me with the argument that says we are here to solve the problem for the world, I'll say to you, I'm not, I'm not even going to dispute that with you. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. That's who we are. But if we can't, we can't become Marys and sit at the feet of Jesus, then we're always going to have a Martha attitude to solving a problem. And that's just doing what everybody else said we must do and taking the rewards that everybody else does. Mary showed how to break the mold. She said, I'm going to hear what Jesus has to say.
So, you know, when we talked about faith, finance, fasting, and we talked about these things for this weekend, uh, I bet you many people thought we we're going to talk about sowing and reaping. I don't have to talk about sowing and reaping. Not in this church. You all know about sowing and reaping. You know about tithing. You know about being generous in your heart and being generous. If you don't, let us know and we'll ask any one of the regular people that are here and they'll tell you. And if they can't tell you, then I'll take the whip to them first before I invite you to talk to you. Because we know that actually to be generous with your substance is a way that God can bless you because it's you connect to Him covenant in a covenant. So we know that, right? And we know that when we give beyond, beyond even our capabilities, that's an honor thing that God, God sees and He provides. What we're talking about actually is, is the, the root cause of, of why in a difficult moment you have a choice to make how much of your money that God thinks God wants you to part with and you won't. What's your choke point? What's your choke point? That's what I learned from Brother Copeland. What's your choke point? Where your choke point is, is where your heart is. Lord, I'll give you from my increase... But like Pastor Sharon said this morning, but of the stuff that I've put aside for my future, don't touch that. That's your choke point. That's your choke point. That's your institutional level. That's your level of institutional behavior pattern. It's one of the reasons why the Lord actually says, I will, I will use the poor to confound the rich. I will use the weak to confound the strong. I will use those that are considered to be foolish to outsmart the wise. The Lord uses that because it's about relationship. It's not about how many distinctions you get or you don't get. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship. Okay, so let's get practical here, Pastor John. Come on. Let's get practical now. We've got to get real. You've got to have money at the end of the month. Everybody's got to have money at the end of the month. You've got to have money at the end of the month. Someone's got to pay the bills. Right? Someone's got to pay the bills. Yes. Someone does have to pay the bills.
I wonder what it would look like if uh, you had the kind of faith that we, collectively, we all had the kind of faith that when you're in a storm with a, in, in, a, in a boat, in a storm with Jesus, a more unsure, insecure place you could not be. On a sea, in a small fishing boat, in a big storm, and Jesus is sleeping, and you are doing the Martha thing, Worry, worry, worry. Bail, bail, bail. I wonder what would have happened to the disciples if they just went and sat down and just waited. And just waited and let the boat fill with water. I wonder what would have happened. I suppose they would have all drowned. Jesus, Jesus would have drowned. Come on, I'm, I'm, someone's got to pay the bills. Jesus would have drowned. Someone's got to pay the bills. But Jesus would have drowned in that boat if it wasn't for the hard work of the disciples. All of their worrying, all of their trouble, all of their stuff, Jesus would have drowned. No, of course not. Why was Jesus sleeping? You think, you think, he knew the disciples had the answer? Why was Jesus sleeping in the boat in a storm? Because responsible people would not sleep in a storm. Responsible people would be bailing water. Why was Jesus sleeping while the responsible people were doing the right thing? Who was doing the right thing? Because Jesus has a relationship with his Father. How much trust does he have in his father? Complete. Why was Jesus sleeping? Because it doesn't matter what storm the devil brings to me. My father's already taken care of me. I'll sleep, thank you. But his disciples woke him up. Not his father in heaven. You must go read the story with these worldview eyes, seated with Christ in heavenly places. His father woke him up. No, his father didn't wake him up. His father was letting him sleep. His disciples, the responsible ones, woke him up. Don't you care that we are perishing? We. Don't you care we are perishing? Jesus has a look at them and says, you guys, you've got no faith at all. You should have just let me sleep. But since you've now woken me up, and because now you've interfered with my timetable that I've got with the Heavenly Father, 
Some people said, some people said the inter real interpretation of that scripture is Shh, to these disciples and storm be still. <laughs> Either which way, Shh. and the wind stopped, the waves went away, and the Bible says they found themselves at the other side. See, God had a timetable with Jesus, and not the devil or storm or disciples was going to interfere with the timetable. So what provision did Jesus need in that moment? What was the provision that Jesus needed? What was Jesus doing that God was providing him with? Tell me, what was Jesus needing in that moment? What was God providing him with? First thing God was providing him was rest. His body needed sleep. If he's a human being, even though he was God also, if he's a human being, he needed sleep. He's using the journey to provide his body with sleep. The devil comes along to interrupt God's provision for his sleep. So then God has a second provision for him, which is protection. But his disciples say it's not enough. We're bothered that the protection level of God the Father is not enough here. So Jesus, do something about it. And so Jesus says, Father, these guys you've given me. But anyway, <laughs> just to show them how we operate. Shh. Come on. So, what is it that you get when you're sitting at the feet of Jesus that when somebody addresses Jesus as, as Lord, don't you care that I must do all this work and she is not doing any of it and she's getting something, uh, she's just slacking. Let me tell you, this is the biggest threat that these young people face is other people saying, how long are you going to be here? How, what is it going to take? How are you going to get provided for? What's going to be your next move? Because what everybody wants is you to stop being Mary and you must become Martha's. Because you can't be Mary's all of your life. You've got to become Martha's because you've got to do the responsible thing. Who? responsibility are you going to take care of? Who do they have to be responsible to? Who do they have to be responsible to? Their biggest threat doesn't, I mean, they have their own confrontations because, because the confrontation is the questions that are silent questions that the system is asking them right now. How long is this going to be for? How long is it going to last for? What are you going to do? And who's going to provide? And what if? What if Pastor John dies? What if the church fails? What if? What if? You think their walk with God 
if they are in the right place hearing from God, that God's not putting stuff into them that will last them forever. I ask you, who do you think, when Jesus got up and walked out of that house, who do you think was more sure about her future than Mary? Who do you think was most uncertain about their future? More than Martha. Because not only did she confront the Lord about what she's doing, but he actually clearly put her in her place. Well, not quite. He was asking her to choose another place. And so she turns around and she says, that's not the answer I thought he was going to. I thought he was going to send Mary packing as the head male, the head man, you know, we are family, and he's going to tell her because he knows the society pressure and the responsible thing would be to send her to come and help me in the kitchen. And so he's, Jesus' response is, she has chosen something that cannot be taken from her. So I've got news for everybody that's asking questions about all of these young people. I've got news for you. You can say whatever you want, but what they get from God cannot be taken from them. It will never be taken from them. Never. Your job can be taken from you. Your profession can be taken from you. Your money can be taken from you. All of you sitting here, I'm telling you, any of those things can be gone in a flash. But when you are secure in God, it cannot be taken from you because you know that your life is taken care of by God. It's the same Jesus. The same Jesus that when his mom says, we've run out of wine, he says, it's not my time, but okay, I'll honor you. Bring me water and he can turn water into wine. You want to know how God can provide for them? He can turn the proverbial water where they have no money into an overabundance of money in a flesh. Well, how's he going to do that? I don't know. Neither did his mom. Who's ever turned water into wine that they could go back on up to that point anyway? And say, well, you know, I remember that prophet, you know, you know maybe. There was no one that turned water into wine. But she brought the problem to Jesus. Oh, what about, I'll just feed 5,000 people with one lunch that was brought by a small boy. What happened to that story? I know, but that's an Old Testament story. We have got a different level here because we've got to save so much. We've got to have a pension fund. You've got to have retirement annuities. You've got to have this. You've got to have that because, because. Either you're not politically connected enough or you're too white or you're not whatever. Whatever. Where's your choke point? What's your choke point? Well, that's all good and well for you to speak, Pastor John. You're all well taken care of and comfortable. Let me tell you, Pastor Sharon, I have a contract with God. There is nothing in our, in our lives that is ours that if God didn't tell us to give it away, we wouldn't give it away in a second. 
Just like that. God told us to move from Johannesburg to Whitbank and move here. We lived in a 635 square meter house that could have all of the guests that we wanted all at the same time. It was a beautiful home, beautiful house, large, big. It was beautiful. And we had changed it, paid cash for all the changes over all of the years. Had a suite on that side, a suite on that side. We had upstairs, downstairs suites. We had everything we needed. Beautiful garden, a beautiful place. The Lord said, change your address. Sell your house, change your address. And we moved into Whitbank into a 120 or 130 square meter flat. We stay, which we stayed in for two years. People think they know us because we're well taken care of and you haven't paid the price. You don't know how much price we've paid. Where we've had to trust God because He's given us an instruction, yes, sir, we'll obey. The first one was, it's time for you to go into the ministry, John. Yes, but I'm earning millions. So what, John? I never even had a conversation with Brother Jerry about money. You know my story. By the time he came to talk to me about money, he said, I want to pay you more than you earn. I said, you couldn't afford that, Brother Jerry. My, my conversation with God was never whether I go into the ministry because I had enough money. My conversation with God was, he's calling me now. I've got to go now. Sharon's next question to me was, well, how are we going to provide for our future? I don't know, Sharon, but I've got to obey now. God is calling me right now. And Jerry Savelle is the man that God is calling me to right now. And so Brother Jerry, thank God for it, but Brother Jerry called all of the men of God that were at that conference to witness a covenant alliance between him and me, and he called them to witness this, that God had put us together. And they all had a witness in their spirit. And then my pastor had a witness in his spirit. And that was 27 years ago, and I'm still in covenant relationship with Brother Jerry. And just, just so that you know that Jerry Savell Ministries hasn't given us any money at all for at least 15 years now. And we continue to be the directors, trustees, and run Jerry Savell Ministries in South Africa. We earn nothing from them. And just so that you know this too, even though I'm actually earning a salary, I'm at this point, at this point, and I'm giving my whole salary away every single month. My whole salary, every single month, I'm not, I'm not holding on to one cent. Well, where do you get that kind of faith? I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus. I'm not worried about serving. That serving's going to bring it. So where do you get your money from? God provides it. How much do you have to worry about it? Not one second. The minute worry tries to come on me, I shove it off all back on Jesus. Stephanie will tell you, she helps me run the ministry finances. I keep on telling you, every single time we talk, every time we, we get to have an opportunity to talk, I just keep on saying, Stephanie, our, our expenses keep on increasing. Well, of course, if you've got more people coming in and you've got things happening all the time, expenses are increasing in the ministry. 
And so we don't even have a budget for the expenses that start increasing all the time. Sometimes people, God says, bring someone in, and I say, yes, sir. So where are you going to, well, it's not in the budget. I can't afford to run my ministry based on just what the budget says. I've got to run the ministry based on what God says. <laughs> Let me tell you, if you think Pastor Sharon and I just, you know, we, uh, we don't have to walk by faith, then you don't, you don't have a clue. We live so completely in God, so completely we have to trust God. If we for one minute stop trusting God and become Martha's, we are done. Because the stuff that can't be taken away from us is being a Mary. It's being a disciple. It's being sitting at the, sitting at the feet of Jesus. The stuff that can be taken away from us is the Martha stuff. If I have to start worrying about what people think and about what we're going to do next in the ministry and how much we can afford to let people do or not do, we're going to shut the doors. Because just like that, the devil will take us out. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes I have to make decisions and, 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 and uh, you know, Sometimes the, the prudence and the wisdom of it is that we, we do things little by little. It increases and, and so every day is a new day and we just walk with God that way. Hallelujah. What must I do if, the, if, I, if I see a need and God says, it's time for you to meet this need, John. Sometimes he asks us to do it personally. Sometimes he asks us to do it as a ministry. What must I do about that? I've got to obey God. So, come on now. Let's talk. Let's talk. Someone's got to pay the bills. Someone's got to pay the bills. What product do I sell? Do I sell a product? I don't sell a product. What's my responsibility to you? My responsibility to you is to make sure that I'm Mary. The minute you ask me to be Martha, I'm done for. That's what the people of Israel said to Joshua. We'll follow you, but only make sure that you hear from God. Whatever you hear from God, we'll do that. Amen. The next thing they did was they get circumcised. Painful. Necessary. Covenant making. That's not what we were mean. We didn't mean that, Joshua. No, but that's what God said. Do that first. Let's make covenant. Let's reestablish the covenant and then we'll go to war. Then we'll go and take the territory that needs to be taken. 
Then Jericho will come down. Then all of these cities will be, will be taken. And then all the stuff that I promised you and your fathers and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it will become yours. Let's make sure the covenant's in the right order. You can read this throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. When we go to Matthew chapter 6, and we say, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. This is, not just, this is not just a statement. This is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Okay. This, we've got to pay the bills. We've got to pay the bills. So, Pastor John... Surely, surely, you place a big emphasis on teaching about money in the church. Because you got to, if you don't sell a product, then you've got to at least sell tithing. Okay, kick your money, money. Do you hear me begging you to tithe? Ever. Never. Have I ever, ever, ever done that in my entire ministry life? Do I ever tell you that we're not going to make it as a ministry if you don't give your seed? You ever, ever, ever heard me say that? Have you ever, ever asked me, have you ever heard me ask you to give to the ministry so we can meet our, we can meet our needs? The only thing I've ever asked you to do is I've presented you with an opportunity for honor seed. That's the only thing I've ever done. And then I told you clearly, I said, don't even give an honor seed with the basis that this is, I'm sowing a harvest to get a return. I said, this is an honor seed. That means the way you're going to have a relationship with God based on your honor seed is based on the honor of the seed. Hallelujah. So, I don't have to pulpit bash you with about money. I either believe the Bible or I don't. And the Bible says you should never, ever, should, ne should you give under compulsion. That's what the Apostle Paul said. Never give under compulsion. But when you give, you must give willingly, out of your heart. Be a cheerful giver. Do it cheerfully. Otherwise, don't. And so for me, it's a big cheerful thing to give. Whether I give to people or I give to God or I give to other ministries, it's a cheerful thing for me because I'm a cheerful giver because I know actually that I'm just a vessel and as much as comes in can go out. In fact, the more that goes out, the better. How big a pipe do you want to become? Want to be a host pop? Some people think a host pop's a great thing. I don't want to be a host pop. I want to be one of those big things that comes out of a out of a dam. And the, the water. I learned something the other day. Larue taught me something the other day. We were riding, and we, we they had the sluice gates open in the summer. 
and he was telling me about the engineering and the way the water comes and why they have to put the concrete blocks in certain places because of the force of the water couldn't hit, it has to hit the concrete blocks and for all the stuff, you know, he told me all the engineering stuff. I mean, when that water comes, it's, it's like so many metric tons of liquid that's coming out of that sluice gate so that it can leave the, relieve the pressure on the dam. I want such a dam of money coming in so big. I want so much water flowing into my dam that I've got to open all the sluice gates so that it's working hard. And the river is working hard to contain all of the sluice gates open at the same time so that the money just flows. Praise Jesus. How are you going to get there, Pastor John? I'm already halfway there. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You knew some of the stuff that's happening to me in my world. This morning I went into Pastor Sharon and I said, Pastor, I said, Sharon, my base, I've got to share this with you because some of the phone calls I've had with the, with the, with the U.S. have uh, uh, revealed the level of the love relationship and the honor relationship that exists between me and Brother Jerry one more time. And I said, I have a decision to make. And her immediate response, well, you don't really have a decision to make. You know what the answer is. I said, babe, it's not in my plan. I mean, it's half in my plan. It was just on the horizon for me, you know, but it's like I'm still praying about it. I didn't phone them. They phoned me. Praise Jesus. It just, it just doesn't end just keeps going. Mary. Mary. How many, of you, how many of you want to keep hearing more of this? Hey? I want to tell you, this is probably one of the most significant moments in our lives that we are experiencing now. And God himself brought us here. Because, because, I'll tell you, in 2014, the Lord said, you've got to go to America and you've got to take a bunch of people with you. And when I was there, brother, I, I made this declaration to Brother Jerry. In the presence of those people that were with me, I made that declaration. I said, Brother Jerry, my people are your people. My strength is your strength. Whatever resources are, are in my ministry, they're always available to you. And he'd said one thing to me in the presence of those things. He said, John, just promise me you'll never stop preaching faith. I know so they're sitting on the front row, you know, Christian Krobis, they were there. Am I right? It's all, the only thing he said to me was, thank you, John, but you just don't stop preaching faith. So now my, my strength is becoming his strength in many different ways. Hallelujah. 
from that moment I came back and it was 4 by 4 by 40 remember demonstration manifestation visitation of God from that moment till now God began to orchestrate movement change growth he began to orchestrate things in our ministry that it was going to pull brother Jerry and I closer together and it meant sometimes that I had to go and spend five weeks there and seven weeks there and it meant different things at different times that we had to do. And then when he came and visited, then God said to him, now you must come back next year and take as long as it takes for you to do what you have to do and say what you say. And so we have a bag of seeds and we've got to go back to that bag of seeds and make sure that we are doing those bag of seeds before he comes back the next time. Because we want to unlock the next level of understanding that we're going to get from him. Remember, I spoke to you about all of those things and I said, you know, who goes at my age then and head of a ministry, who goes and spends five weeks just hanging out with someone and you don't know what one day is going to bring after the other? And our answer was, we do. And then the next year, the Lord said, go back and do seven weeks. Seven weeks. Even if you think about it now. I mean, now that I've broken the mold, it's still a long time. Seven weeks. And you don't know, you don't know what, what he's going to ask you to do for the next day. Well, you know, John, you should at least be better at planning these things. You need a long-term plan for these things. How? How could I make a plan? Even six months before God told me to do it, how could I make a plan when God says, do this? Well, what about the money? What about the resources? What about, what about, what about? And God said, so what about it, John? Just do what I tell you to do. The second time I went there for seven weeks, somebody, somebody said, you don't have to rent a car. You can drive our second, third car they had in their family. So the Lord provided me with transport for seven weeks. On both occasions, I stayed in the, in the property that's on above the production center. That is a flat that Brother Jerry has on his property. And so I didn't have to pay hotel prices or anything like that. I stayed in the flat. I just bought my own food, made my own food. When Brother Jerry wasn't taking me out and feeding me Starbucks or something else in the mornings. But here is the timing of it. God told me two years in a row to go and do that, which was year 2017, I think, and 2018. 2019, there's a family member of Brother Jerry's that gets, is not well, and they end up occupying that top floor and have occupied that top floor for the last three years, all through COVID till now. What if I had said to God, I have to plan this? What if I had said to God, I must wait for the money to come? The opportunity would be gone. Or it would have cost a lot more. 
certainly 19 to 1 versus then maybe 11 to 1 or 12 to 1, whatever it was then. Come on. When God says you've got to do something, you must do it. Not to mention the fact that Brother Jerry started, okay, I've got to come to South Africa, South Africa, South Africa, South Africa. Even now, I showed you, we are the church that he refers to globally when he talks about a seed. You think that would have happened if we hadn't been given him the first honor seed and then the second honor seed? You are making God famous. What Brother Jerry is actually teaching and what he was saying, that whole message, is I seek God and He just provides. He just gives me desires of my heart by favor. I don't even have to ask Him. I just show up and I like a thing and God pays for it. Don't you want some of that on your life? You've got to have some of that on your life. Come on, you've got to want some of that on your life. You've got to want it. What does that mean? It means you've got to go and sit at the feet of Jesus and not be worried about Martha. But who's going to be responsible? Responsible. You have to be responsible. Eh. Be responsible after you've sat at the feet of Jesus. Because then your level of responsibility will change. And everything you do will be different. Because I'm going to minister tomorrow morning. I'm going to minister to you about someone else in the Bible. But I, 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 I'm going to finish with this. I told you this last Sunday. Jesus had a different relationship with, from that time on with Martha than he did with Mary. Because when Lazarus died, Martha's whole focus was, if you had been here earlier, and Jesus asked her the question, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? And she said, I do in the end times. She missed it. Because she wasn't listening to Jesus. She missed her opportunity to step into Mary's role. So she goes back to Mary and asks Mary and says, Mary, Jesus is looking for you. Mary comes and says, if you had been here earlier, Mary said, Jesus says, Mary, shift the stone. Because Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, she knew what to do. Martha was still having a debate. Do you understand? Responsibility will always cause you to have a debate about your future. Sitting at the feet of Jesus will always give you the answer. Because Jesus will tell you what to do next. And if he's got to raise someone from the dead to give you money, he will do it. Please don't do that, Lord. <laughs> we don't want dead people walking around you. <laughs> they are long gone. And they come back and they say, yeah, you're carrying around my inheritance. Hey, can I have it back, please? <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Praise the Lord. So do you, are, you, are you getting a bit of better insight into the fact that actually when I say for a Christian provision, and I, I, I meant to say this actually, the Lord said to me, it's better for you to say it this way. 
money is not a problem, but all of your provision is not a problem as a Christian. It's a relationship problem. It's not a supply problem. It's a relationship problem. Because if you know Jesus, then you don't have a problem. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I can be confident about this message today because I can tell you this. That people, many, many people have come to me and spoken to me about uh, over the years. I don't do it this much anymore. But many people have come to me and said, will you please help me, help us with our marriage? And every time I say to people, I can help you with your manage, marriage only if you do what I tell you to do. Yes, sir. Well, okay, you've got to put Jesus first. You've got to put Jesus first. Uh, no, we'll do that, but just tell us what to do to solve the problem. And I'm telling you how to solve the problem. Put Jesus first. Uh, is there no ABCs here? A communication thing you want to tell us? No. The communication is with Jesus. Husband? Go get in the Word. Wife? Go get in the Word. Why? And I would tell them this. I say, I can, I can give you counsel and wisdom and understanding, and I will give it to you. But if you don't put Jesus first in your life, you will not solve this problem. There are people, thankfully, there are people that have had marriage issues that have put God first place. And God has restored their relationship and more and given them so much more in their marriage because they have put Jesus first. They went, in, they went from putting Him last to putting Him first. And oftentimes that means you've got to change your focus and say it's not the church that I've got to put first, the organization church, it's Jesus. It's a relationship. If it can work for marriage, I promise you it can work for money. But it's just somehow about it doesn't sound right. You know, marriage has got a longer term issue, money is now, you've got to pay the bills. You think it's a different kind of faith, a different kind of relationship that pays the bills and gets a marriage strong? Like I said to you, how do you make a strong marriage? One day at a time. How do you lose a strong marriage or, or, or have a weak marriage? One day at a time. You just stop loving God one day at a time. You stop loving your wife the way God says that one day at a time. That's it. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. If you have any questions for me that you want me to, if you want me to address, I'm happy to have you send them to uh, xyz email at hoffme.net. I'm teasing. <laughs> send, send it to Miranda at offme.net and she'll make sure that I get it if there's a question that you want answered. But because 
it's all about this issue of responsibility. How much responsibility do we have and what does my future look like based on my responsibility? And so it's all about that. And my, and my answer to you is, is that I can't tell you what to do with your responsibility because this is a matter between you and God. But I will tell you this, that if you will spend time with God, it will become clearer and clearer and clearer to you how to handle your future. Praise the Lord. Won't you stand with me, please? <coughs> Praise the Lord. Praise Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what do you guys think? You think uh, we're a bit uh, straight shooting on this, or, or do you like this kind of straight shooting? Eh? This kind of straight talking. Do you like it? Yes. I mean, r rather hear the truth, you know, than not. I thank God that I am free from the broken systems of the world. I am free to live in Him. I am free to live for Him. I'm free to sit at His feet and have Him speak to me and counsel me and direct me and guide me and to lead me in the ways of and the paths of righteousness. Do you agree with my prayer? Do you want to yes. be part of that? Yes. Hallelujah. Well, it's my prayer that this word that we have been preaching, Pastor Sharon and I today, and that I will uh, continue tomorrow morning, that you will begin to have that as a real truth in your heart. That revelation will guide you. Inspiration of the Holy Spirit will affect you. And you will begin to see things that you haven't seen before. And you will be free to live the way, free, free, free to live the way that God wants you to live, not the way social, your society needs you to live. Free, free to live the God will have. Free to live in God. There is no downside to this. The only downside to it is a couple of uncomfortable conversations where people want to know, what are you doing? I'm serving God. And then you can hear them saying, that's irresponsible. And then your answer is, ah, ha, 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 <laughs> I know what you're thinking and I don't even have to answer you because I'm not talking about responsibility I'm first talking about sitting at the feet of Jesus and then my responsibilities all come in order they're in order they're in God's order they're in order hallelujah praise Jesus I pray that you will be restful tonight and you will sleep well and um, no weapon formed against you will prosper and you will be blessed going out and blessed coming in. Amen. Amen. Amen.